This is the Education Gadfly Show. I think that is the sort of thing you should definitely promote uh-huh. on a national broadcast, Mike, <laughs> without evidence. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, Ariel Dreher. Ariel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, also joining us as every week, our co-host, David Griffith. Hey, Mike. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Long three-day weekend. It was uh, nice. I know. It's nice, except I do have a sunburn. That's, uh, do you? I do, and uh, it's because, I don't know if you've heard this, Ariel or, or David, this this idea that uh, suntan lotion is the new margarine. I think that is the sort of thing you should definitely promote on uh-huh. a national broadcast, Mike, without <laughs> evidence. No, it is true that, that, you know, of course we should protect our skin. However, there's a, an epidemic of vitamin D deficiency out there because perhaps some people are overusing sunscreen. And staying indoors too much. Emphasis on the perhaps. Yes, good job. Emphasis on the perhaps. <laughs> Anyways, well, Ariel is joining us because she has been writing some great pieces for the 74 about the future of work and what that means for our schools. Uh, and in particular, uh, an article she wrote about rural education caught our eyes. This is something we've been talking a lot about here on the show uh, and want to chat about it with her. So let's do that on Ed Reform Update. All right, so Ariel, you dug into this, uh, what really seems like a catch-22 for rural schools and rural communities, which is that if they prepare their young people to go off to college, especially a four-year degree, many times uh, that means going away for college, pretty far away in some cases, and many times not coming back uh, because of the kinds of jobs that uh, that you can get with a four-year degree and that uh, you know that really makes sense in terms of the time and money put into those degrees oftentimes are in big metro areas, not in small rural communities. Uh, so you know you you educate people, they don't come back. On the other hand, you want to attract more businesses to your rural community, your rural county, and the business development people say, well, we need to improve the skills of people here. We need to improve education. How do we square this right. circle? What do we do about it? What did you learn as you were reporting the story? Right, right. So I found that communities are um, more or less taking matters into their own hands. Um, the thing about the two models that I really highlighted in my piece for the 74 is that they're more or less relatively new. Um, so we have high schools, for example, Scotts Bluff High School in Nebraska um, started an academy model for their high school curriculum in 2016. And the idea was to prepare students for jobs that they have already in their community. Um, and the big the big, the big word, I guess, that I will use um, that I learned in my reporting that these pilot programs, or they're not really pilots anymore. I mean, they're programs that exist. Uh, they both uh, feature partnerships. Partnerships are so, so important uh, for these career models or career academy models to work. And that's at both the high school level and the community college level. In Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Shelton State Community College partnered with Mercedes-Benz in 2012 to create a completely, almost for lack of a better term, an individual major. It's a program at Shelton State that students can go through, and if they receive the right marks and if they take the classes and get the certifications they need, it's a gateway to a full-time job at Mercedes-Benz. And these programs are designed to sort of 
uh, avert and to sort of negate brain drain. And that's a big term that was tossed around a lot in my reporting. And I think, you know, in, in truth, local communities should be a little concerned. The data shows that uh, people are leaving rural communities for the bigger cities. And I think that state lawmakers, federal lawmakers, and local community leaders are really trying to work hard and create partnerships to sort of stem that, if that makes sense. So, no, that that does make sense. Now, not everybody is lucky enough to have a Mercedes-Benz uh, factory nearby. Uh, that Right. Uh, <laughs> And in a place like Scotts Bluff, what what kind of jobs do they have? And I mean, is it fair to say that they're preparing a lot of the young people for jobs that require less than a four year degree, maybe some post secondary, but but not a four year degree? It, it depends. So in Scotts Bluff, they have both. So there's a local sort of ag business manufacturing company um, that you know produces some of the farm equipment that's used in Nebraska and in Central and Middle America. Um, and so for those jobs, you would just need to get some certifications, perhaps a two-year degree or a two-year program at the local community college would be sufficient for those roles. Um, But a lot of students that I talked to uh, were already looking past that, if you will. Um, One student that I talked to for the story, she will get her four-year degree because she wants to be a teacher, but she wants to be a teacher in Scotts Bluff. And so I think I think the tendency has been, especially for people who are rooted in our coastal cities, for the most part, or big cities in America, when we think of rural education, a lot of times we are thinking of those community colleges, those two-year degree programs, those types of things. But what I learned, and something that researchers I talked to for this piece really emphasized to me, is that no two rural communities are the same. And for the most part, scholarship and research on rural communities has really been sort of condensed down to this sort of, you know, rural community in a box, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I did want to touch on the one, um, the thing that really makes things tough for rural communities is not the fact that in and of the fact that they're rural, but it's that they are so much more isolated um, and the distance that they have from access to things like, you know, what you're talking about, like jobs, like companies that could employ them. For some students, even getting to community colleges an hour or two hour commute every day, that added distance factor is really what makes um, a lot of the challenges that rural communities face that might be similar to a New York or a Houston or an L.A., um, you know, the distance compounds their problems, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I, I, I think my questions are, um, I, I, I guess I'm curious to hear a little bit more about anecdotally or qualitatively how the students think about this, right? For example, I, I mean, it sort of felt like the claim was that, you know, kids are going to college somewhere out of state and then never coming back. But is it really, I mean, is it really college or that is pulling them away or is it just that you know, they want to be in a bigger city. And and I guess sort of a similar question is, I mean, or even a broader question is like, how do the kids talk about it, right? Do, are they, do they want to stay in their local community and do they just feel like that's not something that's realistic for them? Uh, or, or I mean, I, I guess my question is just how, how steep is the hill here, right? Like, is it just a question of getting the right policies in place? Uh, or are the kids even receptive to this? Right. I mean, I think it's a mix. I think students there are students who 
really like their local communities and don't mind the fact that they're in the middle of America. Um, I I talked to a surprising amount of students that actually really appreciated the gateway that their high school or community college was offering them so that they could have a job right where their family lives, right? And so I think that that um, is definitely a part of it. So I do think that in some communities and some states, policies and investments in programs um, and models sort of like a career academy or a partnership with a business um, or bringing a business in could work. But I think, um, to your point, I, I think leaders need to be talking to their people, right? Um, you have to know that the people and the workforce are going to be there before you bring in a big company. Um, and I think in the case of Shelton State, they got lucky because Mercedes-Benz was already there, right? And so it was sort of, and Shelton State was already there. So that was like an easy pairing. Um, and I, I also wanted to point out too, you know, these models being relatively new, I, I think they need to be studied in 10, 15 years. We, we don't know. Um, and one of the things that we also don't know, and there's not a lot of research on, is when it comes to brain drain and millennials and Generation Z, um, going forward, um, one of the things that could impact this is how remote your workforce is going to be. If we have more and more people who can work from anywhere and can work from home, um, a lot of these rural communities need the high-speed broadband. Um, and so that's to me, in terms of a practical uh, policy approach that you know could potentially make some of these rural places accessible for com- companies going forward, um, broadband and you know high-speed internet is going to be key. Yeah, it's a no-brainer from where I'm sitting. Yeah, look, and I think the fact that at least we're having these conversations is a step forward uh, versus 10 years ago, say, when everything felt like it was through the lens of the big cities. And look, part of that was we were worried about you know poor kids growing up in urban communities. And you know we live in these places where uh, if you don't have a four-year degree, it is really hard uh, to make a living where you can support a family. Uh, you know that just the nature of income inequality in these big metro areas and the housing costs. Yeah, you know, but things are playing out very differently in other parts of the country uh, and in some of the you know where where it is still possible because of the lower cost of housing, et cetera, uh, to not get paid as much but still live pretty well uh, and and do that if there is some kind of job, but it's getting those middle skill jobs then that that's essential. Uh, and, and like you said, Ariel, you know, we have to be careful not to generalize. I mean, some kids are going to grow up in, in rural America and they want to move away to the big city. They just are going to want to, right? Uh, like yeah. you, David. Right. <laughs> I, it, Portland is a city, Mike. <laughs> all right. Not it's a like city. You. All right. Oh, you were in Portland itself? Yeah, okay, I, yeah. okay, all right. All right. You weren't out there in the boonies of Oregon. <laughs> I, okay. I didn't, I wasn't sure. I know. The boonies I, are wonderful though. I was right, like growing up in the suburbs of St. Louis, like myself. I, look, some, some of us want to, go away or you know but and other people are going to go away and would like to come back maybe when they have the family of their own and they'd like mm-hmm. to come back home if they can figure out a way to make that work an area like you said if they can do their job from anywhere uh, that's a possibility right but it well, does seem like think- the, the big picture here is you know if if these places are going to remain viable uh, there's going to have to be good paying work uh, and there's going to have to be a strategy then to get people the skills to do that work and, uh, and yeah. it's good to see that people are working on that Yeah. Well, and one other thing I wanted to bring up, and my reporting didn't go into this, but something that did strike me as I went along is a lot of these programs are either A, not very expensive, or B, you know, in the case of Shelton State, 
Um, Mercedes-Benz is paying for part of a student who could become a future employee's tuition in some cases. So when we're talking about the massive amounts of student debt that a lot of millennials and Generation Z kids are going to find themselves in, um, these programs are actually offering an alternative to that so that kids aren't having to go into a ton of debt to get, you know, decent paying salary paid jobs right after graduation. And I think that that model, depending on what way our economy goes, could become very, very viable and very attractive. Um, you know, and it's not just jobs that draws someone to a city, obviously, you know, um, I think there's research to be done on sort of a, a culture or an environment that a young person fresh out of college would want to go to. But I think that that's also something that warrants further research and reporting as well. All right. Fantastic. Good way to end. Thank you so much, Ariel. Hope you come back sometime soon. Uh, again, you can check out Ariel's reporting in the 74 about the future of work. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the Thank show. You, you still wear uh, sunscreen, Amber? I do, like 50 <laughs> plus. What? Heck yeah, I don't, want one, I don't want one tiny bit of color anymore. Have you checked your vitamin D? Come on, I'm telling you. Uh, can you take a pill for that? Balance. Can you pop, can you pop a pill, vitamin uh, D pill? Yes, it's not the same. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like taking fish oil tablets. You know, uh, it's not the same as uh, fish. It just, uh, plus, those things are gross if you've tried oh, them. Have they you are gross. And yes. that concludes our non-research minute. <laughs> okay. I, yes, fine. Or uh, our non-education segment. We can do something uh, no, on, I'm all about uh, the floppy hat and everything we else. We can call her uh, outside yes. the lines. Uh, like, we yeah. do. We try. All right, all Amber, right. what'd you got? We have us? a new working paper out by Calder by Harry Holzer that looks at the impacts of the pathways chosen by community college students. So more pathway stuff. Okay. Uh, in this case, it means their, like their pathway, like in other words, their desire credential and the field of study that they choose upon enrolling. It's not like a pathway somebody else creates for them, if okay. that makes any sense. Uh, specifically, they examine whether students' choices over time have positive returns, including earnings, and the likelihood of obtaining a degree or credential. They use student-level data for the entire cohort of students who began community college in the state of Kentucky in the academic year 2010-11, and they followed them for six years through spring of 2016. Okay. They have data on their chosen field of study, their desired credential, their courses, their grades, their credits, whether they took developmental courses, their credential earned, the certificate, the diploma, the associate's degree, the bachelor's degree. Woo! They can track them if they left and went elsewhere. And these are all students. They they might not be right out of high school. Could be returning students. They could be returning. Students. Important, yep. given it was 2010, especially yeah. uh, in the throes of they, the Great Recession. Although we don't, they didn't talk too much about that, though. Yeah. We got to say okay. uh, they have data on their high school courses, their grades, their test scores, so they can uh, they can say whether a student <laughs> is college ready. One of these days, we're going to figure out the answers, right? Yes. With all this data, it's okay. a lot of data. And then they don't have individual earnings, uh, but they did have a summary, some kind of summary data for what students made around that time frame that the state of Kentucky provided for them. Okay. They use student fixed effect models, and then they use this regression discontinuity model based on the required 2.0 GPA they have to have. Yeah, but neither one of those, David, are ideal, and they have a long explanation of why both the models are problematic. But anyway, I'm going to summarize what both of them say. But again, not rock-solid causal. Descriptives first, because this stuff is interesting. Only, let's do a little quiz, make this more exciting. How many do you think students were deemed college-ready according to their high school stuff? 30%. Damn, that's going to be my guess. Ah, oh, you guys are good. One-fourth. 
Um, well, I mean, we, we, we do this for a living. 20, 20, 20, 20, 29%. You do, you do. You do. Forgot that. Sometimes you guys are way off. I'm just saying. Right. We uh, cut this part, though. That's the, the most popular part. pathway chosen by students. What do you think? Uh, healthcare. Healthcare. Bing, bing. Uh, chosen by about, again, a fourth of them. Mm-hmm. The next two. You want to get any guesses? Next two popular pathways chosen by students. I don't know. Business? What do you think, Mike? Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying no. Yeah, uh, yeah. IT? Liberal arts. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. All right. That's a great pathway. Yeah. And then there's a certificates pathway, which I think is like a catch-all that wasn't coded. Uh, anyway, each of those have about 15 to 20%. Uh, very few students appear in the BA category because, again, mm-hmm. this is community college. Uh, nearly a third, more descriptive findings, nearly a third of females choose an associate's degree in health pathway mm-hmm. less than a tenth of male students do mm-hmm. oddly enough the students categorized as not college ready profess similar choices as the college ready group mm-hmm. and incidentally they complete certificates at about the same rate mm-hmm. but they complete degrees at much lower rates Interesting. Okay. the overall completion rate over six years in a kentucky community college just under 30 percent and only 22% for an associate's or bachelor's degree. Uh, the highest completion rate is the BA degree, but it, again, comprises so few students, so they don't spend a lot of time talking about that. Mm-hmm. But the next is this popular health pathway, about mm-hmm. 37% completion rate. Applied STEM, did you guys mention that before? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Applied STEM also generated certificates and diplomas at moderately high rates. As for attrition, nearly 60% of students enrolled in the first year return the second year. So, so. just to, uh, by the way, uh, go back to this again. You said yep. 25% were college ready and 22% completed. 20. Hmm. Those are awfully <laughs> close to one another. Boy, they maybe are, Kentucky should do something <laughs> about getting more kids ready for college. They are, Mike. I suspect right. they're trying. Uh, right. I suspect they're right. All right, let me summarize the impact because that was just descriptive, okay? Impact findings. Okay. Students and healthcare and other certificates, diplomas, that uncoded thing. Uh, are 77 and 97 and 69% more likely to attain a credential than those who fail to choose a pathway. So kids who just come in and say, I don't really, I don't really know yet. By contrast, students in liberal arts oof, are no more likely than students with undeclared pathways to attain any credential in six years. Healthcare and applied STEM are consistently associated with greater likelihood of credential attainment and higher earnings than other pathways. Students change programs frequently. They start coding like what these kids are doing, which appears costly to the outcome side uh, since it limits their ability to accumulate credits within the pathway, right? If you keep just like any kid, if you keep switching, switching, switching with your pathway and your plan, early momentum generated by enrolling in and attaining credits in the first year can have positive impact on credential completion rates. Mm-hmm. Reforming developmental education is key, as when kids fail these prerequisite courses, they are less likely to hang in there, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so the recommendations, just to wrap all this up, uh, they talk about making making developmental courses a co-requisite, which I've heard mm-hmm. of before, um, which may make sense. And to give community may. college may... May or give community college students more career guidance, which is a popular thing we hear a lot about, mm-hmm. and make sure community colleges can meet the demands once we give them better guidance on better choices, which is all if 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 we do all this stuff, then the community yeah. colleges need to be able to look do, it's, do their it, stuff. It is hard. I mean, look, we talked about this a million times. We'll say it one more time. It is really hard if you get to college and you're not ready. ready. Uh, then the choices aren't great. And if you're a community college, what do you do? And so it seems like one option here is you say, well, 
look, you're not super likely to do well in our AA program, but you might be do, do better in one of these certificate programs. Mm-hmm. The concern there is that it's a form of tracking and that, you know, you got to be really careful mm-hmm. that you're making those decisions based on data and not based on bias, right? right? Or you can try to say, yeah, we're going to fix remedial education. Look, if you can figure that out, great. But, you know, I just worried that the co-requisite thing in too many places is mm-hmm. basically trying to lower the bar, mm-hmm. you know? And so that. you're like, well, it doesn't work to put you in a remedial course. So we'll just put you in a regular course. At the same time, you're and supposed then, to be getting ready for this course that you're taking simultaneously. Uh, you know, and look, mm-hmm. I think there is some evidence that, you know, because the AccuPlacer and other tests like that aren't great, mm-hmm. there are kids out there who could do fine in these courses, you know, especially mm-hmm. if they get a little bit of support, a little bit of help, especially if they're coming back after being away from school for a long time. Mm-hmm. So all that's worth figuring out. But <laughs> all of this would be a lot easier to manage if our schools, K-12, were doing a better job producing students who are actually ready for the next mm-hmm. step. What do you think? What do you make of this um, health and applied STEM as sort of being a more promising pathway? Yeah. yeah it seems to make sense. I, I mean, right? what do you think, David? I don't know. It's Yeah, it's not rocket science, right? Like mm-hmm. healthcare is on the rise. Like we're mm-hmm. all going to work in healthcare, probably everyone here too in 20 years. <laughs> Or be in healthcare. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, um, yes. No comment. Uh, right. I mean, yeah, the part that was interesting to me, um, what do you guys make of this? Like, the, Did I hear that right? Basically, that there's no difference between the kids who are ready and not ready in terms of their preferences and what they choose, choose. like yeah. the area. It's just right. in terms of the kind of degree they get and how mm-hmm. likely they are to That's complete right. it. Yeah. yeah. I mean... Well, I don't know what to make of that. It's a positive yeah. finding if you think mm-hmm. if you're concerned that kids are being tracked. It's a negative finding yeah. if you think maybe they should be a little bit more, and and it's not necessarily realistic. Yeah. Or do they know they're not ready? I mean, I right. don't think they just got a d- diploma. They right. just, you know, a lot of these kids, they their high schools, they probably got pretty good grades. Mm-hmm. They've been told they're doing fine. You know, so right. uh, if they fail the acuplacer, that's going to be a surprise to them. Mm-hmm. So. It kind of reminds me of when, when the Carolyn Hoxby study, remember when they gave them the SAT report, it said, mm-hmm. you know, you might, you, you could benefit from taking this, this, and this mm-hmm. instead of like, yay, apply to this college. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was it was like a messaging thing right there, yeah. right? So yeah. in this case, right, like what's the right message to send to kids who, mm-hmm. you know, have these high aspirations, but might not be prepared to, to get there. I, I, so is that a guidance yeah. thing, you know? Back to the health thing. I, I have the impression that healthcare is pretty good at helping people get on that first rung of the ladder and then mm-hmm. be able to climb the ladder. I have know. that same impression yeah. based on basically nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were talking about but this we earlier. Do that yeah. in more fields, right? Right. including education. I mean, it happens to some degree, but to make it more formal, to say, look, you know, you can get started as a teacher's aide with a two-year degree, and then mm-hmm. we're going to have a program to get right. you to keep climbing and get you that right. four-year that's, degree. Dave and I were talking about that's the stackable credentials yeah. idea, right. right? Like you're a nursing assistant's one, and then you're yeah. a nursing assistant two, that's and right. then you're you know, whatever right. you are. That's right. And there are jobs, there actually are jobs in the entry level that you can mm-hmm. get, and you can, you know, so I don't know. It just seems like other fields, to the extent, you know, do they need to do a better job making that happen as well? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that exists to some degree in other in other fields, but maybe it could mm-hmm. be improved. Yeah, it's one of those big, vague questions I can't quite formulate, right? Yeah. But it, like, yeah, can they do a better job? Do they need to do a better job? But then also, where is it realistic for this to really happen, right? Like yeah. you mentioned education. that That's a tough one, right? Because in some ways, I don't know, I, right. I, you're requiring a certain level of math skill to teach math mm-hmm. right or you probably shouldn't be in there mm-hmm. ditto for reading and writing mm-hmm. right I, I don't know it's 
I, I guess not all, my only point is not all skills are similarly like mm-hmm. stackable, right? And I'm trying to, I'm still trying well, to figure out with exa- teaching, like differentiating learning, right? Like doing that might be a higher mm-hmm. skill set, right? Like you begin to. Well, just saying know. that we're going to really grow. We're going to really think about a pipeline mm-hmm. where on purpose we, we bring young people in, you know, with only two year degrees for mm-hmm. certain roles mm-hmm. with yeah. the idea yeah. that we're going to help work with them to get the next two years, you know, especially mm-hmm. look in places. And I would imagine, I suspect that there's places in Kentucky that are hurting for teachers and that have a hard right. time and that this might be a, like a teaching assistant. Yeah. yeah like a paraprofessional. Yeah. No, I actually, right. I actually yeah, agree okay. with what you're saying. Yeah. yeah assuming they are above a certain threshold, and, and right? As this, long as you're, yeah. And you know, I think, more than the kids yes. do. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think this happens in some places where they are like, Oh, we have these paraprofessionals. How can we help them get a right. four year degree right. and get certified? But mm-hmm. to do it f- formally, thoughtfully, right. Uh, you know, right. just like the nursing profession seems to have done. Right. Like have a path way for adults a not real just for kids pathway. yeah mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and uh you know because that might look if you know i guess i'm just thinking you know in healthcare the jobs are clearly there and if it's if there's a fairly clear pathway in the short term you're mm-hmm. like you do this for the next two years and you will have a job right and that job will pay twenty five thousand dollars a year and then you keep at it and you know within five years you can be up to whatever it right. is i mean right. i don't know i think that that motivating it's motivating Mm -hmm. it is motivating but i feel like those are two different things right there's the question of like can you be somewhere higher in five years Mm -hmm. right and then there's also the question of is there a a halfway point that makes sense to get off on the way to x you know Mm -hmm. as an initial point of entry i don't know right right i don't necessarily disagree with either but this is what all the ct people talk about right like paths of entry you know can you get on and can you stackable blah 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 you know like this stuff is this is the right way we should be thinking about this it's It's just getting it right yeah yes and and it just seems like the healthcare people maybe are a little bit heavy and we should catch up in the other field we're all working healthcare now we're all working healthcare okay (laughs) that's it people that's it all right that is all the time we've got for this week until next week i'm david griffith and i'm michael Trilley, the thomas b ford institute signing off the Education Gapfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at FordhamInstitute.org. 